Welcome to your first official day of medical school. Hello and welcome to the MedStud Memoirs podcast. I'm your host, Brian Elliott, and today we have a special guest on our show. If you're a pre-med podcast listener, he needs no introduction. He's the host of the Pre-Med Years, Old Pre-Meds, and the MCAT podcast, all under the umbrella of MedSchoolHQ.net, which is a must-listen for anyone trying to get into medical school. Dr. Gray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Okay, so, you know, I talked to you a little bit about the theme of this podcast, where we correlate medical school content with real life experiences. And then you had brought up uh, your intern year, right? Yes, I did. So where did you do your intern year? So I did my internship year, I I guess just a little, a a tiny smidge of backstory. I did HPSP through medical school, which you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And when I applied to orthopedic residencies, because that's what I wanted to do, uh, I applied through the military match and through the normal match, and the military said, nope, we don't want you to be an orthopedic surgeon. You need to go and do an internship year. So I went and I did a transitional internship year at Lemuel Shattuck Hospital in Jamaica Plains in Boston, and it is the hospital for the Department of Corrections. And so that means prisoners, when they get sick or pretend to be sick or whatever they may be doing, um they come and see us at the hospital and the whole top floor of the hospital is a jail. You, you go up the elevator, you get out and you go behind like the, the stereotypical bars, uh, jail sale bars that are opening and closing. And yeah, so that's where I did my internship year. It's exciting. Now, how did you hear about that program? I, I don't know how I heard about it other than I just was looking around for programs. I saw that one, saw I, I, I talked to somebody that was at the program. I spent a day there before applying and and really liked it, loved the atmosphere. It's a very small program. It's only I think there were five or six of us in the program and we did some medicine at uh, one of the other hospitals outside of Boston, which held, uh, served BU students. And then we did our surgery rotations at Tufts, which is obviously for Tufts medical students. And yeah, it was a, it's a really awesome, awesome uh, hospital, awesome place to do an internship year. And what kind of care did you provide? Was this all inpatient care? Yeah, it was all inpatient. Uh, yeah, they, they did have an outpatient clinic at the bottom in, in the like main floor of the hospital, but that was a, a smaller majority of our time. Okay. And was that also for incarcerated patients or? It was for everybody. So it was, it was a hospital for the indigent population. Okay. And what kind of medicine was it exactly? Internal? Yeah. Internal medicine. Uh, so it was a transitional year. So most of the time is spent doing internal medicine, and then the rest you do a couple months of general surgery. Okay. What was the relationship like with the patients? Was it consistent or was it acute care scenarios? It was a little bit of everything. I mean, it's just like an inpa- any inpatient hospital. Our 
the level of acuity was lower than a, a normal hospital. So if somebody was really sick, we would transfer them over to Tufts. Uh, that was usually where we sent patients. But we saw and treated a little bit of everything. We also had, I think it was the only, it's a very cool hospital. We had, we had a locked TB ward on the, in the hospital. So one of the floors was uh, a locked uh, inpatient unit for TB patients. And so I remember distinctly coming in one morning and we're sitting around waiting for the person who was on call. And when you were on call, you, you slept overnight at the hospital. Um, she was nowhere to be found. And this was one of the first days and we're, we're wondering where she was. And so I went looking around and it had a small two bed ICU for, for minimal stuff and I walk around the corner and they're in there doing CPR on this patient. And I see the, I see the, the uh, other intern there and, and she's going at it. And so I jump in and start doing CPR and, and come to find out afterwards, like this is one of the TB patients. I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> I hope I don't get TB now. How did that, how did that end? Did you get tested afterwards or? Oh, I do normal testing when you, uh, do your annual TB testing, but I've never popped positive. So that's good. Okay. And you guys just hopped in without masks or anything? Yeah. Yeah. As far as I remember, it's just like, oh, CPR, let's go. And <laughs> nobody was like, uh, this is a TV patient, put on a mask. You know, I'm kind of curious just about in general, the kind of juxtaposition that differs between medical care in general and incarceration. Because on one end, you have medicine, which is supposed to be supplying comfort to the patients, caring for the patients and building relationships. And on the other end, you have an incarceration, which is supposed to be, you know, locking people up, imprisonment. And, you know, when people think of it, it's almost the antithesis of comfort. Yeah, so when you're a prisoner, the, the I think the, the big picture that we think about is, oh, somebody that has all of their rights taken away. But the right to health care is in my mind, never taken away and, and should be for everybody. And so when you're in prison, you get access to healthcare, which is why there are physician positions at hospitals. And some may hear stories of how hospital medicine is, is not very good medicine, but um, I, I don't know if I could, I, if I could point to any data or statistics that shows how it's any better or just as good or whatever than than regular medicine. But I I think as a healthcare provider at a Department of Corrections hospital, so when I was seeing patients who were incarcerated, you you kind of ignore that. You have to, in my mind. And it's hard to do sometimes, but it's it's the role of being a provider. Like you said, you, you're there to comfort, to heal, to offer empathy to someone who maybe has done terrible things. And and I made it a point, and it was kind of pointed out to us when we started, that you shouldn't be asking questions to these guys outside of healthcare questions. It, it shouldn't be, hey, what are you locked up for? You don't, you don't have that kind of talk with, with those kinds of patients. And unfortunately, not every intern followed those rules. How do you mean? So we would round and sometimes we would kind of round around the table, just called sitting rounds. And, and 
we'd have the the person who was on call the night before who maybe admitted somebody from the jail and he would present the patient and go this is a a 34 year old male convicted of rape who's here for whatever and and every time and he did this all the time and every time he did it i'd get so mad at him like you shouldn't know this, number one. You shouldn't be asking about it. You shouldn't tell us about it. It And it, it always blew my mind why he thought it was okay to to dig and and, under, and try to learn why these people were in jail. And, and then number two, why he would tell us. Because it's just, it's, it gives you uh, a bias that that you don't need in healthcare. I mean, we we all have our innate biases, and if you if you think you don't have any, then you're sorely mistaken. But we all, based on how we've grown up, our environment that we grew up in, whether we were were white or black or Latino or whatever, we all have our biases, and we don't need to complicate those already biased thoughts with huge biases with with rape and murder and whatever else that these people were were incarcerated for it was very frustrating yeah i I can imagine and i'm wondering did any attending or fellow doctor did anyone mention that to him or ask why he was doing that i did all the time (laughs) and and i think other interns did too I don't specifically remember any of the attendings mentioning anything to him. And it, I don't know. It, it was just, I, I never understood it. I never will understand it. Okay. To, to play devil's advocate a little bit, which is yep. pretty hard Let's in this scenario. Um, I like it. Do you ever think that there's a scenario where even just asking, maybe not, almost definitely not presenting why they're incarcerated, but asking why they're incarcerated could cross over into some sort of medical diagnosis or prognosis, be it some sort of psychiatric condition like, you know, conduct disorder or um, antisocial personality disorder when it is almost a lack of empathy or even asking to know how long they'll be incarcerated because that might affect uh, consistent care. Um, good questions, but so psych for, for, psychiatric reasons i i don't know if it's still important to know why they're in jail i think it's important to know what may be wrong with them and and maybe to some aspect why they're in jail but we weren't psychiatrists so so yes i i think maybe from a psychiatric standpoint understanding why they are in jail understanding their crime to try to understand their psychiatric illness I, I can I can buy that one a little bit more, but outside of that, like if you have an, a, a ruptured appendix, I don't care if you're a murderer. I don't care if you're a rapist. I don't. I mean, I do care, but that it, it shouldn't matter in in my my treatment of you. So let's let's take a, take a look at this example. So we have somebody come in and. It's this patient that this other intern presented, a 34-year-old male uh, who's incarcerated for rape. And we learn later on because we're all um, interested in, in digging and finding out more. And we Google and we see that he was 
uh, violent attack of a woman and and raped her and and all this other stuff. And later on that day, he's he's incarcerated or he's in our hospital because he has a broken bone. He got in a fight in the jail and now he's got a broken leg, let's say. A a intern who an intern who's who understands where this person came from, why he's incarcerated and now gets a call that says oh, this patient's in pain. You're going to go, I don't care. He's a rapist. He beat up this woman. Good. He deserves it. And and that just goes totally against everything that we've learned as medical students and, and now as practicing physicians. Like you 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 have to separate those two. You just have to, no matter how hard it is. Yeah, completely agree. So did it did you ever see a, the bias that kind of comes with presenting patients based on things that they did in their past? Did you ever see that manifest as different treatment that the patients got? I don't know if I ever noticed specifically different treatment options, but just the fact that that was there, that possibility was there is, is kind of what frustrated me and, and what made me more acutely aware to avoid digging into somebody's past. It's, it's interesting. And even as we record this, the election cycles over. And so politics was in the news a bunch and there was a, a study that came out or I read the headline about physicians, political views, altering treatments of patients. And so it's, as I kind of reiterate again, like we all have our innate biases. And so when you're dealing with, and, and you don't have to be in a department of corrections hospital to deal with inmates or deal with, violent people that have had violent pasts or working at a free clinic with homeless people, you need to kind of throw a towel, throw a, throw a white blanket over everybody or whatever color blanket over everybody and just treat them as, as an anonymous person that you have no clue who they are. Other than obviously you need to know racial things that, that are going to affect their treatment uh, plans and, and other health issues that go along with different populations. But outside of that, everybody's the same. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things that that translate well with this, that, for, for example, people who are obese can sometimes uh, elicit some sort of bias in people when they also present it as a you know 35 year old obese female it's almost it's almost alluding to some sort of culpability that comes with that obesity yeah do you have I, I think that's that's the perfect example i think obesity and fat shaming and and blaming the patients for their their condition is is a very similar example um and and it's that one you can't really hide, right? You you could be seeing somebody in the clinic who was arrested ten years ago for for rape and is now out, and and you don't really know that unless you ask, which again you shouldn't. But it's kind of hard to hide the fact that you have a a, a four hundred pound 
woman in front of you that that is seeking treatment for uh, a, a painful um, knee, let's say. And so at our again, our biases are like, well, you're overweight. Of course, your knee hurts, like lose some weight. Why don't you try? You're obviously not trying. And and it's hard to, to separate those. Yeah, I think one of the most difficult things is, and I'm going to ask you this question. I'm not sure if there is an answer, but how, how do you do it? How do you, what's the antidote for this problem? How do you detach from any sort of bias that you have? You be a human <laughs> and you pretend everybody's your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister and treat them as you would treat, treat your patient as you would treat your, your mom or dad or brother or sister. I, I think that's, that's really, it's, it's one of those things like, when when you're doing public speaking, you picture everybody in their in your underwear. Well, when you're a doctor, you picture everybody as your mom or your dad and treat them as if they were and treat them with respect and, and dignity. And if they're obese because they sit around and play video games all day, then they're obese and you talk to them and, and find out what they want. Maybe they don't want to lose weight. And then it's not your place to, to force that on them, unfortunately. Now, getting back to the patient population that you were treating back in your mm -hmm. intern year, did you, were there any specific conditions or different things that you saw that were specific to that population? <laughs> yeah, we saw swallowers. Um, <laughs> we got to see all kinds of cool things that people would swallow because the hospital environment was usually probably a better environment than the jail. And so when people wanted some special attention, one of the things that they would do to ensure a ride to the hospital would be to swallow things. And so we've seen, I saw little like tiny little pencils, like you would see it like a golf course filling out scorecards, um, just short little stubby pencils. I saw a guy that swallowed about a dozen or so of those. Um, razor blades were popular. I don't know where, I, I think they were breaking like shaving razors and taking the blades out of those and swallowing those. Um, what else? Somebody got mad at a TV and I think it was a hockey game that was on. He got mad and broke the TV and swallowed the glass from the TV. And it was, I think it was an older TV. And so glass, you shouldn't be able to see on an x-ray, but because it was an older TV, it was all it was all lead-based glass. And so it showed up perfectly on an x-ray, which was pretty cool to see. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely saw unique things. And what's the treatment for that? Do you have to go in surgically? <laughs> yeah, it, it, usually it's it's the, if it, if it went in, it'll come out kind of philosophy, but sometimes they would have to go in and, and take stuff out. On, on the treatment end, when you were treating conditions in this patient population, was there any difference in either your ability to follow up or compliance or any other kind of uh, patient adherence thing that you noticed? I think follow up, follow up was different uh, because there was, as far as I remember, there was a, a physician at the hospital. And so we would treat them and and they would be discharged back to the the um back to the prison and the prison physician would follow up and do all of that care with them sometimes they would come back to our outpatient clinic for 
maybe uh, wound care or dressing changes or those types of things. For for compliance and and making sure that they would take their medications, that's tough because they liked being in the hospital, some of them. And so we would treat them and, and sometimes they would come back because they weren't compliant. And um, it definitely the the prison environment isn't the most secure. It's not the most safe. And so people would have different reasons for why they weren't compliant with their medications. What about confidentiality? Did patients openly admit to certain things that they did or were they scared that you might treat them differently if they admitted to swallowing a bunch of things? Uh, well, <laughs> we'd have an x-ray, so they couldn't really hide that. Um, I, I think they it's it was very interesting that the prison population for as a physician, they were for the most part amazing patients they, because they were in an environment that was not the prison because they weren't around prison guards there were prison guards obviously at the hospital and on the floor uh but because they were seeing a physician there was they were very respectful very appreciative for the most part and 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 it was it was a a, a great environment so i think they they treated you with respect and and answered your questions and were honest and and as honest as any patient is going to be i don't think that because they were prisoners, I don't think that changed anything. Okay, well, I think that about covers it for all the questions I have. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you.